Welcome in to another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. I am Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is across the way digitally. Eric, how you doing? Pretty darn good, Matt. I must say you're taking this whole vacation thing a little differently than I would be. <laughs> yeah, well, we I, technically I am on vacation, but we we realized we needed to do a podcast sometime before. I got back because the day I get back is the 23rd and you and I leave that day for the Pac-12 tournament or Pac-12 tournament uh, for the Pac-12 media days for football in LA. And so if we were going to, you know, if we were going to do a podcast discussing kind of like, you know, previewing media days and just, you know, kind of giving a broad stroke across the conference and having it have an opportunity to actually, you know, be listened and be relevant you know, we needed to do it before media day. So here we are. That's where we're at. I'm here to help you. I, I appreciate that, Matt. And I'm not sure I'd be quite as generous with my time when I was on vacation. But uh, uh, I always appreciate the fact that you're willing to uh, do, do whatever is needed for the site. <laughs> so uh, let's get some business out of the order here. Uh, if you are a subscriber, you can get us uh, an annual subscription. You can save a lot of money by switching. Uh, to annual subscription, which will comes out to being six dollars and twenty six cents for your first for your first year at each month uh, is the price six dollars and twenty six cents per month for your annual subscription. Or if you want to buy us out for the first time and you want to go to uh, a, a route where you go month to month, you can subscribe for as low as one dollar for your first month. Uh, by, by trying us out at duckterritory.com. So I highly encourage you guys to, to try that out. Um, let's get now to Eric Paxwell Media Days. It's on, it's on the 24th. We're recording this on the 16th. Um, we are going to start seeing, uh, blog posts of I voted, you know, such and such here. Here's my ballot. Uh, I voted, you know, this is my Pac-12 champion. I will have a vote. I do have a vote in the Pac-12 media poll. I also have, um, sometime before Friday, I have to send in my ballot for preseason all Pac-12 as well, uh, from an individual player basis. So, um, we're going to start seeing these, you know, preseason rankings come out and eventually Oregon, uh, will be slotted in as a preseason ranking. Um, where do you think I know where I'm voting Oregon. I've already made that mind up. But where do you think the majority of people are going to look at at Oregon uh, and as they fit in the Pac-12 forecast? My guess is they're second behind Washington in the North. That would be my guess, based upon the fact that Washington has been the dominant team in the North now for a couple of years. I know they lose a lot, but they also have the favorable schedule. They play Oregon at home. They play most of their good opponents at home, and Oregon plays the I guess I would say the, the majority of their tough opponents on the road. So I, I'm going to guess that's going to be the way it goes. Um, I think that's probably not I, – I bet it's pretty close, though, because I think there is the perception right now that Oregon, with Herbert, with so much back from last year's team, a team that did beat Washington, that they're going to be capable of taking that step. But I think there's going to be enough people that kind of waver about whether or not Oregon's ready – whether or not they can go into Seattle and win that game. Because, really, if they don't win that game in Seattle, it's going to be really hard to win the Pac-12 North. So that would be my guess of where it goes. Um, I don't know if that's – I would disagree with that sentiment, but I'm going to guess Washington is, is number one, Oregon's number two. 
after that, it gets really interesting. I don't know how long I'm going to talk about that, but between Stanford, Washington State, and California, you could probably convince me of any order, and then I think Oregon State's pretty clearly number six. But I think it's going to be some rotation um, of Washington, Oregon, and then I'm going to say maybe Stanford, Cal, Washington State would be my, my guess, and then Oregon State sixth. Yeah, Washington's schedule is they open with Eastern Washington at home, and then they have California at home for an early Pac-12 game. Uh, and then for the third straight week, they play Hawaii uh, at home, for, and then they go on the road uh, to BYU, and then they're back at home again after uh, the month of September. So the, in the month of September, they play four out of their five games at home. They play USC at home, and then October 5th, they go to Stanford. That's going to be their toughest, probably their, you know, in terms of likely outcome of winning a football game right now, that's probably going to be their toughest one to win because it's on the road and it's their only real difficult opponent that they play on the road. Um, they play at Arizona the following week, and then uh, they have Oregon for homecoming on the 19th of October, and then they have a bye, and then they play Utah at home, and then they go on the road at Oregon, and then they have another bye, uh, go on the road again at Colorado, and then they play Washington State at home on a Friday, November 29th. So it, it's it's pretty crazy. They they play one, two, three, four, five, six home games, and from August 31st to November 2nd. You know that that yeah. that's that's you know that like you said that sets up perfectly for them um, to make a run to win the Pac-12 North again. And on the flip side, Oregon has that Auburn game in Dallas to open the year and then home games against Nevada and Montana. And then, you know, they have to go on the road to Stanford and then they get a bye. And then they get California and Colorado at home and then they have to go to Washington. And then they get Washington State that following week, which is a trap game, if, if you ask me. And then I agree. that following week, they go to USC and then they get a bye and then they go to Arizona at home and then Arizona State on the road and then Oregon State at home. But, um, I, I agree with you. I think, I think there's going to be enough people that side with the idea that, oh, let's UW, you know, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Oregon schedule issues, you know, let's, let's knock them there. New defense, let's knock them there. Uh, I think it's going to be very close. Um, you know, like, I, like if I'm just throwing out numbers, these aren't even going to be close to being accurate, but it could be like, you know, 15 first place votes for UW and 13 first place votes for Oregon. It could be something like that where it's, it's literally almost 50 50. Um, I am, I will really, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say that I am voting for Oregon to win the Pac 12 North. I do think, um, they are going to be considerably better than everybody else, uh, in the, in the Pac 12 and in, in, in the North division. Um, my biggest worry though is just, the road games and having to win so many of those games on the road uh, to be able to compete. But I, I think looking at UW's schedule, I think there is an opportunity. Um, you know, California, you know, while I, it's at Washington, I think, you know, Cal's defense is pretty good. Um, they've got a defensive player of the year candidate and Weaver at linebacker. And, you know, maybe, you know, UW has some, some struggles with, uh, going in and, uh, you know, their offense moving around. The defense could pull off another shocker for Cal and win that game. I think Stanford is a game that they could lose easily. USC, depending on the type of USC team that shows up. But, you know, I, I think there are some potential losses there, but just not as likely as Oregon's. Well, I think for Oregon, the margin of error, because 
I think Washington's going to be like seven and two at worst, to be honest with you. I think I could see them losing at home to Utah, maybe, because I think Utah is really good. That maybe is a sneak preview to something we'll talk about in a little bit here. But that Stanford game is probably a game Oregon really wants to be rooting for Stanford to win. Washington State in that rivalry game, you probably really want them to win that game. But again, I think Washington's probably going to be seven and two at worst. That means Oregon needs to be probably eight and one or seven and two and beat Washington in Seattle. I just think it's going to be I can see it being tough, and I understand that the argument against it. I ultimately, we agree. I don't have a vote like you do on this. Maybe I need to figure out a way to get one. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know the process of doing that. But I, I will say, I, it, I would be, I would also vote for Oregon because I think the talent is better. I think if you really break down the rosters, I think Oregon's better at most spots. Certainly, I feel like they're better at quarterback. I think they're better on the offensive line. They're probably better at running back. Wide receiver probably goes Washington's way defensively. Washington lost their whole secondary, basically. Oregon should be better there. I think Oregon has the better line, has Troy Guy's the best linebacker between the two teams. Uh, the defensive front, maybe that's Washington's advantage, but I think, I think Oregon has the better team. I think we agree on that. It's just that there are these scheduling, you know, the way the scheduling plays out this year favors Washington. Just like the way the schedule played out last year sort of favored Oregon. They just couldn't take advantage with those three road games. I mean, we, we should mention last year, Oregon was set up to win the conference. Really, I mean, after beating Washington, they probably should have beat Stanford a couple weeks before. They go on the road and lose those games. And those are some things that I think continue to be concerns is how are they going to handle these road games? Because they really do face basically the best teams they're going to play all conference are going to be in road games and they have to win probably two thirds of those games. Yeah, that's, that, that's going to be the biggest concern for Oregon is just, you know, the road and, um, how they perform on the road. And I don't know if, um, it, we'll, we'll talk to Mario Cristobal at Pac-12 Media Day and, you know, Justin Herbert will be there and Troy Dye will also be there, um, for Oregon. But I'm just kind of, I mean, we're not going to get into super in-depth, you know, like, how are you, how are you going to, you know, scheme against the UW Huskies, you know, on right. July 20th? That's just silly. But, you know, more so of just finding, I'm curious to find out at the, you know, at that event and then throughout fall camp and then as the season progresses of just what are the ways that, you know, a program can, you know, alleviate some of the road struggles? How do you prepare to win on the road when the only way that you can get experience to do that is to actually play the games on the road? So how do they tackle that? You know, how do they tackle that, that task of, you know, developing the the confidence and developing the consistency of playing on the road when you really have nothing to simulate that. Yeah, no, it's tough. And and we've seen now over a three-year stretch here, and I guess we should, maybe we can limit it to post-Helfrich era because the, the, the program sort of changed and the roster is much more similar now to, to these last two teams. But they have not been good in road games. And last year was, that's again, that's what cost them the winning their division and maybe winning the conference and maybe playing in a completely different bowl scenario. And you're right. You, you can't simulate playing on the road besides playing on the road. And one thing that maybe does benefit Oregon this season is they open the season at Auburn and there is free experience that win or lose that game. They're getting experience going into Pac-12 play of playing a really good team away from home. Obviously it's not exactly a true road environment. It's neutral site. Although I think we expect Auburn probably has more fans due to proximity but I think that does provide maybe a little bit, maybe that ends up being a saving grace, even if Oregon doesn't win that game, which I think they need to in terms of big, big picture stuff. But 
for winning the conference itself, going to that Auburn game, maybe you kind of take your lumps in that one in terms of dealing with the on-the-road uh, situation. And that provides you some confidence because we should remember it's not that soon after that they go to Stanford on the road, you know, and that's it. That's your first conference game against one of the best teams in the conference, a team that has beaten you now. I can't, was it three straight years, three straight games out? Yeah. That's, that's going to be a tough game. And I think having that opportunity on the, on the road sort of against Auburn maybe does provide them some sort of roadmap for that. But I agree. I, Struggles in the road are hard to really understand how you navigate that, and I will be curious, like you are, to see what Cristobal has to say on that topic. I know he's discussed it a little bit in the past over the last couple of months following the season, during the season, but it'll be interesting to see if there are any you know, measures taken to simulate those things or if there are things that they're going to do in practice differently to simulate those things. But certainly to me, again, that be, that that is very high on my list of reasons why uh, uh it, it's sort of hard to gauge if Oregon can really do this or not because we just haven't seen them win those games yet. When let's look at the South real quick. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think we're both high on the same team and that's Utah. I think I'm voting Utah to win the Pac twelve South. Um are are you in agreement that they are the favorite to win the league? That I guess the the division. Yeah, I'd say that the favorite to win the division. They won last year. They returned defensively. I went and looked at the all-conference teams. They returned like five or six guys that were defensive all-conference first or second team guys from last year. I mean, they, they, they should be absolutely loaded up front. That's a team, frankly, that Oregon probably is happy that they're not facing during the regular season because that would be a tough out again, even if that game was played in Eugene. Uh, I really like that team. They return a ton. Another team I also sort of like, maybe it's just because I've been doing these breakdowns of all of Oregon's opponents, but Arizona has, is pretty interesting to me, even though I know they weren't great last year. But J.J. Taylor completely killed Oregon last year. Colin Schoolers, I think, maybe the best defensive player in the conference. And if Khalil Tate is healthy and can actually run the football like he did two years ago as opposed to last year, they're pretty interesting. Um, but Utah would be my pick. I think between Arizona, Arizona State, USC and Colorado though, and maybe even UCLA. I, that, that whole that whole division could go any any way. You know, like like I said, after Oregon and Washington in the North, there are three teams that I, you could convince me of any order. You could probably convince me after Utah to pick to rotate those teams in really any order. You could scramble them in in any direction, and I'd probably be like, okay, that could make some sense. Just because I think they're it's I think they're really even, even even Utah. I don't think Utah is head and shoulders above two through six in, in the Pac-12 South because a lot of those teams are really interesting to me. Even Colorado, they lost, like, what, seven games to finish their season? Well, they have their quarterback back. They have two defensive players that were just nominated for uh, the Ben Eric Award yesterday, and, and and that's, you know, the top defensive player in the country. They have LaVisca Chenault, who's arguably the best skill position guy in the conference. That's a really scary team, too, and they might be picked fifth or sixth to win that division. Would it be more of a surprise for you if someone other than named Oregon or Washington won the Pac-12 North, or would you be more surprised if Utah didn't win the Pac-12 South? That's a good question. Uh, I would say I'd probably be more surprised if someone besides Oregon and Washington won the North. I, I think the margin between Utah and the rest of those Southern teams is probably a little bit smaller than what I think the margin between Oregon and Washington is over the rest of those Northwest and California and Stanford teams. Um, 
But I, I go into this season being like, I wouldn't, there's, to me, there's no clear front runner really. You know, like we've had years where there are really, really clear front runners. Oregon obviously had a bunch of teams in the early 2000s where it was like, okay, they're going to win their division. They're going to win the conference. It's come, it's who comes in second. I don't feel like that's the case at all this year. I think this is a pretty loaded conference, not necessarily in terms of like college football playoff contention, but in terms of like, I think it's pretty even. You could, I mean, even if you combine the divisions and go one through 12, I think it would take me a long time to parse through ranking, you know, the teams that are like three through nine, you know, together, maybe even three to three through 10 or 11, because I think Oregon State's pretty clearly number 12. I think there's a ton of parody and a ton of intrigue in between there because this might be a year where the Pac-12, you know, doesn't have a lot of teams that aren't bowl eligible, but doesn't have a ton of teams with nine, 10, 11 wins. Yeah, there's, I think I, I agree with you. I, I think maybe, I don't know if the right word is parody. Yeah. Um, and, and the league this year, but you know, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Utah won the South or USC or even maybe even an Arizona State or an Arizona, um, won the Pac-12 South. I mean, Arizona has Quill Tate and yeah. we saw two years ago with him being healthy and him being used in a certain manner. I mean, it, it, it was incredibly difficult for teams to stop him and, it wouldn't shock me if all of a sudden, you know, he gets back to form and kind of takes over, you know, college football again for a three or four or five week period. Yeah, yeah, Tate's still, that, Arizona to me is the wild card. I really kind of took for granted the talent on that roster before I went and did my, I do these stories on the site that you probably have seen, the know your foe, five players to know for each Oregon opponent this year. And looking at Arizona, like their big three of Tate, Taylor, and Schooler, Colin Schooler, that's that's up there with any other big three or oh, yeah. in the conference, honestly. I mean, J.J. Taylor might be the best running back. Khalil Tate, you could make an argument. He's at least the most dangerous if he's play- – you know, if he can run again. I mean, we should mention last year he ran for like – I did this in the story, but like two years ago I ran for like 1,400 yards. Last year ran for 200 yards. And that was yeah, all – it was injury-related. It was someone in his, his system-related. But like if they can figure out how to utilize his legs, which were clearly a huge weapon a couple of years ago – like, you could convince me he's a, he's a conference player of the year candidate. You know, he could go out and run for 1200, 1300 yards and throw for, you know, 2500 or whatever it is. Cause one thing I did notice is they lose their top four receivers from last year. So that's good. That may be a little bit shaky, but he's dangerous and he's proven to be dangerous in this conference. It's just, is he healthy? Are they going to tailor the offense properly? And again, like, I think they, they, they have to be a wild card sleeper in that Pac 12 South because they have probably one of the top three or four quarterbacks, the best, maybe the best running back, and probably the best defensive player in the conference. They're a scary, scary team. It just comes down to depth, I think. Let Let's take a break and have a message from our sponsors real quick, and then let's get into. Um, you've got some some questions that you're going to be posing. Is it Is it true or false, or what, what are we what are, what are we playing here? It'll be true or false questions after the break. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt Frame here, Eric Scopel. Uh, we teased it before the break, but let's dive into this. You've, you've got now, what, what was it? You, you found five, you've posed five true or false questions and yeah. I have no idea what these are. Yeah, you have, Matt is completely in the dark in this and I want to give credit to Coast Info, a post on the message board for posing five questions that were similar in a true or false uh, format. I think he did that on Monday morning. Uh, thought it was cool the way he did it. Thought it would be a cool podcast segment. Depending on how interesting our discussion is, we might turn it into a story later. But um, the concept here is like these are five statistical things, and you tell me if you think it's going to be true or false that these are met. All right, let's start with number one, and it's Justin Herbert related. Last year he threw for 3,100 yards. Do you think he throws for 3,500 yards this year? Is that true or false? Ooh. That's interesting. And that's right around 300 yards per game regular season if you go to 13 or 14, if you think they win the conference and then play in the conference title game and then a bowl game, 3,500 becomes more manageable. But that's the number I landed on looking at kind of his numbers historically and then kind of where the conference top guys usually land. Right. Um, That's hard because – Looking at, you know, Oregon's previous seasons, they threw for, you know, 248 in 2018 per game, 190 per game in 2017. That was in part because of Herbert's right. injury and Meister couldn't throw football. Uh, 265 in 2016, 2015 it was at 258. And then, you know, 2014 they had, they were at 312. So I'm, and then in 13 and 12, they were both under 300. Um, 13 was 291, and 2012 was 222. Um, I'm going to side with somewhat similar to what Herbert did as a freshman when they averaged 265 a game. So I'm going to say false. I do not believe they that, that Herbert will throw for 300 and 300 yards per game to, to get 350. Okay. I also would say false in this one, in part because I expect they're going to run the ball a lot, which leads us to our second. Will Oregon have a 1,500-yard rusher? Last year, C.J. Verdell led the team with 1,018 yards. Travis Dye was second with about 600 yards. Do you think Oregon has a running one running back, not multiple, that runs for more than 1,500 yards? No, I do not. And the reason... I think they will rush for um, over 3,000 yards on the ground, but I just don't think that they are going to lean on a Verdell that much um, to allow him to get to 1,500 yards. I'm thinking we're going to get a we're going to get a scenario where it's going to be CJ Verdell runs for 1,300 yards, and Travis Dye will then run for 800 yards. 
and then some other running back on the you know on the team will will, will run for 600 yards and another guy will run for 400 and that's how they'll get to, you know the over you know 3500 yards total i'm going to say true on this one i i I did a bold prediction story, I think it was about a month ago, and, and one of my things was that Verdell would have more than 2,000 yards from scrimmage. I, and that's obviously including receiving, which I think he'll step up as a receiver. He was already, I think, fourth in the team in receiving yards last year. I think he's going to have a really big year. I think he will put, I think he will run for more than 1,500 yards. Um, I'm also proceeding with the expectation that they're going to play 14 games because I think they are going to win the conference. I think they're going to play in the conference title game, and I think they're going to play in the bowl no, game. Now, that is a consideration. That's a good point. I didn't consider that. I'm not, not going to change my answer. Not, not too late to change your answer if you don't. If you want to, if you don't want to, I, I think I think the uh, the number of games probably for you is more taken into consideration with the Herbert one getting over 3,500 because if they played 14 games, they would be averaging right around that 250, 260 to get there probably. Yeah. I, now that I think about stuff like that, yeah, if they have the season that I anticipate them having where they win the conference, they play in a conference championship game, and they play in a bowl game, then yeah, you know, throwing for 3,500 yards should be expected for Justin Herbert with 14 games. I was not, I was not taking that into consideration, and I blame that on the fact that I'm on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I just did quick math that uh, to get to 3,500 yards in 14 games, that would be about 250 yards per game. To get to 1,500 yards rushing per game, that would require about 110 yards for for Verdell or whichever running back. I think Verdell will do it. Number Eric, three, I was told oh. math was not was not a requirement for this. <laughs> well, you are on vacation, so you should be doing zero math. I think that's part of like the vacation. I got into this profession to do zero math. That's true. Our jobs don't require any math. Uh, okay, number three. True or false? Oregon has a 1,000 yard receiver this season. Last year, Jalen Red is the, is the best return. He had 368 yards. No, false. I, I, I again, I don't think they have a 1,000 yard receiver. But again, I think they get close with a couple of guys. I, I think uh, Jawan Johnson. Or uh, this is difficult. Now I'm going back to thinking 14 guys, and you know, if if, if you're going to have 14 games. All that, all that is required of you is what, like seventy-eight yards? Seventy-two. Seventy-two. yards to to get to a thousand. Um, I don't know. That's a uh, yes. Oh, yes. now wow. I'm changing. I'm changing my answer to like yes it. because I I I do think Juwan Johnson or Micah Pittman uh, or Jalen Red. You know, somebody will step up and will be the go-to guy and will average, you know, 13 or 14 yards per reception. And someone will, you know, will average three or four or five catches a, a game. And, you know, that will get that, you know, with the 14 game schedule, that will get them over a thousand yards, but barely. I don't think, I don't think it'll be, you know, well over a thousand. I'm going to say false. I, I think I, I can't. I'm trying to place where I wrote this. This is how much content I do. I don't remember where, what story or what board post or where this, I put this or if this is on Twitter. If I just talked about this or thought this, but I think Oregon's going to have like three guys in the 750 range, and I think it's going to be Johnson, Pittman, and I think Brendan Schooler is going to have a good senior season. 
um, and be that third guy. But I don't know about a thousand. Uh, I, I would side with maybe Pittman being the guy who leaves it with like 800 something yards. I just think we're going to have a, a a year where even with the 14 games, it's going to be spread out a lot um, amongst different receivers. Okay, the fourth one here. Now moving to the defensive side of the ball. Troy Dye is 120 tackles shy of Tom Graham for setting Oregon's all-time career tackles record. Will he get 121 tackles to pass Graham to be the all-time Oregon's tackles leader? Yes. I am I am with that because, A, he's led the team in tackles the last three years. I don't imagine that changing. Uh, two, uh, two, the past two seasons, he's gone over 100 yards. Is that correct? Yeah, he's had 100 tackles each of the last two years. Um, I, I think with the 14 game schedule, um, he's already, you know, close to that number. Yeah. Already playing a, a 13 game schedule. And I think with you add in another game into that mix, improved play by him, improved play by everybody else around him to make his job easier. And the new scheme with Andy Avalos. Yes. I do believe. Uh, we will see Troy Dye break that record and, and get somewhere around 125. I don't think he's going to go far over it, but he will break it. I agree. I think Troy Dye will break the record. And you look at the last couple of years with how many guys, the guys leading the conference in tackles are in the 150s, 160s, 170s. You know, there are guys now getting close to 200 tackles in a season. I don't think Troy Dye does that necessarily. Is that true? A hundred, almost 200 tackles? Uh, I think, I, I'm gonna butcher some names here, but like Evan Weaver and, and the other kid from Cal, Jordan Couser, what, I can't pronounce his name, it's a long K starting name. I think those guys were in the 170s, 160s last year. Um, That's insane. Yeah, 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 no it is, and Ben Burkirvin was up there too, I don't have the stuff in front of me, but I, I've been looking at those tackle uh, leaderboards the last couple of weeks just putting together these best returning players Oregon's gonna face and I think I don't think Guy gets to that level. I bet you he finishes close to 130, um, because I think he's fully capable of averaging right around nine or ten tackles a game, and that's been close to what he's averaged the last few years. When you you know, account for 13 game schedules, finishing about I think 109 was what he had last year. Um, I think he does do it. Um, I think he's got a, a special senior season in him. I mean, and he's going to finish up a career which is one of the best for a defensive player in Oregon program history. I'm not you know he arrived on campus ready to be a star. I mean, he was great from basically game one at Oregon. He's going to, I think, do, carry it from game one all the way to game whatever, something in the 50s um, at his career, you know, in his career at Oregon. And then the fifth and final one here, this is not an individual one as much as it's a team defensive thing. Will Oregon will have 36 sacks or more this season. Last year they had 29, which was fifth in the Pac-12. 36 this year. That's averaging three a game for 12. For 14 games, I don't know, that's 12. That's two a game, approximately a little bit more, probably two and a half. Mm. Well, they lose 13 and a half sacks from guys like uh, Apelu, Hollins, Jelks, and Ugo Amati. Mm-hmm. I, think that's a, I think that's a big loss there. That being said, I do think Andy Avalos' defense is going to be much more aggressive than Jib Levitz was last season, which sounds crazy. Um, I, yes. I think, I do think, you know, I, I, this is just me speculating here, but I just have this vision that we are going to kind of see a defense that's going to be very similar 
to the Chris Peterson offensive minded tree of like, Hey, we're going to line up here. And then all of a sudden we're going to do this shift and the entire alignment of, of the offense is going to you know, drastically look different. We're going to send two or three guys in motion, you know, constant change and fluidity within the offense. I think that's what Andy Avalos's defense is going to be like, uh, for Oregon. You know, they're going to, sh- they're going to line up and then all of a sudden, you know, there's going to be a whole bunch of movement, movement around and, you know, guys are going to, you know, change positions and, you know, change alignments and, and, and hand in the ground or, or go to standing up. And so I, I think there's going to be a lot of confusion and, um, a lot of disinformation presented by Oregon's defense. And then all of a sudden, they drastically change it. And I think that's going to, there's going to be a learning curve a little bit, I think for opponents against Oregon's defense, plus the increase of the athletes off the edge that they've been able to accumulate from recruiting in the last couple of years, most notably, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau and then DJ Johnson. Um, you pair those two guys with Winston off the edge. I think Jordan Scott is a guy that basically demands double to triple teams. Uh, the nose guard position and, you know, the, the continued development of a Gary Baker, a, uh, Drayton Kralberg, Austin Folio. Uh, I, I, I am going to say yes, that they will go over that, that number, which I've already forgotten. Is it 36 or 39? I said 36, but it sounds like you'd go over at 39 too. <laughs> you're, you're ready to jump on it regardless of what that number was. Yes, I was pretty, I, it could be a hundred and I'll pick, I'll pick the over. A hundred sacks. Yeah, hundred sacks. Okay, wow. I think that's an NCAA record. That's averaging like seven or eight a game. That's a lot. Yeah, no big deal. No yeah. big deal. No, no um, the expectations for Kayvon Thibodeau aren't very high. We don't think he's going to, you know, have three sacks himself per game. Uh, if, he, if he has two sacks per game, he, he's just depressed. It's time to, <laughs> time to get over him. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a tough one. Uh, and, and I think you brought up a lot of good points and, Later this week, I'm going to have my 10 big questions going into fall camp story. And one of them is going to be just what this defense for Andy Avalos looks like. And that's probably could be seven to 10 questions in its own right in terms of how they're going to line up, what they're going to do pre-snap, you know, so much stuff to, to kind of think about. And uh, I'm going to take, I'm going to say false on this number just because there's so much uncertainty. And we're, they looked at, again, they lost their two top sacks guys from last year in, in Hollins and Jelks and, while Thibodeau and DJ Johnson and Bryson Young and Lamar Winston, some of these guys are pretty, you know, intriguing guys. I just, I don't know. I think they're going to take a step back in terms of, of, of being able to get to the passer a little bit. And again, I just don't know exactly what they're doing <laughs> defensively, which is not, which is, I think, a compliment to the way they handled things in the spring where it was just like, okay, it looks like they're going to be playing this sort of like 3-3-5 defense, but we kind of are now in the middle of summer going like, is that really what they're doing? Like, we'll find out, I guess, in six I'll or seven never weeks. Forget your, I'll never forget your face during spring ball when, because if, if you're not, most people aren't familiar with this right. because they aren't there, but when we go to football practices, Eric usually goes over to the defense, and I will stay on the offensive side of the ball, and we just kind of focus each of us on those two sides, and um, we'll do a little bit of, of swapping every now and then each day, but for the most part, you're on the defense, I'm on the offense. And yeah. I remember the first time you came over and you were like, I don't know what they were running. They had four defensive linemen, they had five linebackers and one defensive back. I, I'm not quite sure what was, how I'm going to even, you know, rate that as a defensive scheme. 
Well, yeah, yeah, and then, and then like the next time they had like one defensive lineman, and it was like Jordan Scott, like basically in his nose guard position with like six linebackers and two defensive. I don't, like I can't, the numbers don't add up to eleven, so that's not what it was. But it was something, and I was going like, this is weird. And then eventually it became pretty standard, like three D, you know, down linemen, two linebackers with a stud, four regular defensive backs with a nickel back, and it was sort of that was sort of where they landed, I think, in terms of that's what it looked like for the most of part of spring. But I really don't know, and I feel like I'm the guy who like follows this stuff pretty closely. I feel like usually I have a pretty good pulse of what they're doing schematically, and maybe it's a three three five, maybe it's not. I just think there's a lot of question marks, which is why it's hard to. Uh, uh, projects kind of their sack numbers. I think it's going to be really a really interesting ride following this defense. I think that is definitely my big question, my big storyline as we kind of close in here on fall camp, which we should mention. Media Day is, is coming up here on the 24th of July. Fall camp, I don't know if it's been officially announced, but that's going to be the first couple of days of August. We are really, really close to some actual football stuff happening. And I, I got to say, I'm excited. I'm tired of all of this speculative stuff that we've been doing all summer. It's fun to work on. It's fun to write. But I'm ready to get some actual football and, and actually be able to go out and, and watch some of these young guys perform, kind of get an actual idea of who can contribute. Um, we are a couple of weeks away from that, and, and I'm getting really excited. Eric, don't forget my birthday is also in between this. Oh, sorry, Matt. And Matt's birthday is in between that, which is really the high point of all of this. It's, <laughs> it's Matt's 34th birthday. Did I get the age right? No, you did not. You gave me an extra year, so now you're fine. Okay, I'm fine. And I will be leaving the podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all for the excitement of um, football, and I have been for a little bit now. I've, I've gotten a couple of the preseason magazines. I've, I've found a, a Phil Steele at the house I'm at currently right now, and I've been reading that one a little bit. And it's it's kind of like a, I, I kind of cheated this. I don't tell my wife this because – um, I did I, I did this vacation. It's kind of like a staycation. We're not really leaving the state, but we're going all over the place when we're on vacation. And um, the day I get back, I'm leaving to go somewhere else. <laughs> so it's almost like I'm going on another. I mean, I'm, I'm going for a work related trip, but we're going to L.A. and uh, we'll, we'll get some in and out, I'm sure, or we'll go somewhere. Maybe we'll find some barbecue, Eric. So get ready. I'm at uh, barbecue. Uh, but yeah, we'll, 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 you know, we're, we're going somewhere else and, and when we get back, it's Saturday Night Live and then when Saturday Night Live is over, it's essentially, you know, two or three days after that, football camp will, will probably be either start or we'll, we'll be gearing up and next thing you know, we'll have packed Oregon Media Day and that's always fun and then, yeah, then we'll be right into the thick of the grind of, of covering fall camp and, you know, seeing what the new guys look like after being on campus for a couple months and then the weight room, you know, seeing what kind of, you know, gains and or losses the, you know, Oregon's players have made since spring football and, and seeing, you know, who's on the depth chart where and, and analyzing that and discussing and just sort of talking to some of these guys. Like, you know, it's going to be fun, you know, to kind of get some of these stories and perspectives of these guys off season. It's like, I know like Jordan Scott and I think a couple other guys went to France yeah. You know, just, you know, talking to them about those experiences outside of football and, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm ready and it, it's, it's almost here. We've almost made the home stretch, at least for you and I. The average fan, they've still got another four or five, six weeks to go, but, uh, for you and I, you know, football is almost here. All right, Matt, just one last thing before we sign off here. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about the tackle numbers in the conference last year. I just looked it up. Ben Burkirvin led the conference with 176 last year. Evan Weaver had 159, and then Jordan, and I've got the name in front of me, so I'm going to try to pronounce it this time, 
Good luck. Kunizek, Kunazik, he had 148. So they had three guys around 150 or, or better last year. Uh, Troy Dye was sixth with 115. Colin Schooler, we mentioned earlier, was fifth with 119. So guys are getting a lot of tackles, and uh, I think that makes it pretty clear to me that if Troy Dye is healthy, plays at a high level this year, that, that record's coming down. Yeah, he only needs six more from what he needed to do last year. I mean, that's certainly possible. He can easily do that. Yeah, absolutely. That's half a tackle a game increase. That's that's nothing. Like that should that should happen for Troy and I. And it, and if it doesn't happen, um, I don't know what I'll say, but it, it it'll be a shock. I agree. I think I think at this point it'll be surprising if he doesn't bring it down, just because of how how good of a player he's been now for three straight years. Um, yeah, I, I, we don't need to do a full Troy Dye salute before he's <laughs> senior student starts. We'll talk with him in about a week at Pac-12 Media Day. Maybe we'll do it then, but uh, right now it feels a little premature. <laughs> uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Frame, thanks for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Uh, you can find us on DuckTerritory.com for more coverage of Oregon football, Oregon football recruiting, uh, and more. Next week we will go in-depth on... Uh, what we've maybe learned from Pac-12 Media Day while at the same time also going in full scope on Saturday Night Live. So we'll need to figure out kind of our plan. Maybe next week is the official start, Eric, of the, the double podcast per week. We yeah. do one, you know, in, ahead of, the, ahead of, uh, Media Day where we preview Saturday, Saturday Night Live and then we do another one later in the week where we kind of, uh, recap Pac-12 Media Days and also and discussion more on Saturday night live for working football. So uh sounds like when I get back on vacation or now, uh we'll have some work to, to figure out. So uh for Eric and for myself, thanks for listening to the Austin Audible's podcast and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks guys. Adios amigos.